Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome an expert on women's leadership from the US, Sally Helgeson. Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Sally is, as I mentioned, the world's premier expert on women's leadership. She's an author, and all of you know I'm partial to authors. Uh, she's an author of several books, How Women Rise, The Female Advantage, Women's Way of Leadership, The Female Vision, Women's Real Work, Power at Work, The Web of Inclusion, A New Architecture for Building Great Organizations. And she has a forthcoming book titled Rising Together, How We Can Bridge Divides and Create a More Inclusive Workplace. And we'll talk about Sally's newest book as well. So Sally, let's talk about women's leadership. When did you start working on women's leadership issues? I started in 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a corporate position and uh, at some very good companies, but mm-hmm. I noticed what a poor job they did of understanding the more strategic talents that women had. They were very mm-hmm. good at giving them jobs and work to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, I heard some of the best ideas uh, in the company uh, in the ladies' lounge, and I decided, you know, we need to do something about this. Correct. And I and I decided that the the best way to address that would be to write a book, uh, looking at some of how some of the best women leaders led in very specific ways. Mm. And uh, that book was the Female Advantage. And since it was the first book that looked at what women had to contribute as leaders, mm. rather mm. than how they needed to change and adapt, mm. uh, it became very popular and started a career with me doing a lot of internal work with, uh, with women in organizations. I've mm. worked in 38 countries mm. all over the world. So it's been quite extraordinary in the other books and the workshops I do all built on that. Incredible. So based on your vast experience of working on women's leadership challenges and opportunities, what are some of the key issues? I mean, there is this whole other aspect of diversity, equity, inclusion, of course. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to women's leadership, and I've always maintained that 50% of the population has a huge amount of contribution to make to the corporate sector. I'd love to get your perspective on what are some of the more serious issues they face? You know, they've changed over the years, as one would hope, since Correct. this has been uh, uh, 35 plus years mm-hmm. uh, really changed. And I think that that what I've watched over time mm-hmm. is that women have become more confident. They recognize what their skills are. They're more able to articulate the value of what they bring. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big thing. I think women have developed confidence also because they've seen organizations blow up mm-hmm. Uh, over a kind of leadership, you know, very top-down, super overconfident uh, type of leadership that they don't tend to share that much, although this is, you know, we're, we're all humans, so there are certainly women who fall into that category. Yeah. Uh, they've seen that happen, mm-hmm. and it's given them confidence. And I think that women are also, and this is really important, mm-hmm. build much more solidarity among themselves. Yeah. When I started in this work, and there were very few women, mm-hmm. There was always the thing of why don't women support each other? But you know they were very very isolated and Come alone. On. Correct. Yeah, and they were trying to make an impression on the men because that's who was there, and mm. that has really you know I I 
get called into companies and they'd want to put together a women's network and the, the top women didn't want anything to do with it. You know, they'd all say, I, I want to be seen as a leader, not a woman. And, um, but that doesn't happen anymore. They see that as an opportunity mm. uh, to bring other women along and, and, and also their own career development. So that's been a significant change in terms of the solidarity, the confidence, and then the recognition that, that we need to build allies and, um, and that, you know, create that solidarity also with men and, and with other groups that, that feel like they're struggling. So I think it's been a tremendously positive movement forward like all mm -hmm. social and business movements it it has its moments of struggle amazing amazing what a what a great response thank you so you know uh, when you look at inclusion there's a lot of talk all over the world i mean the united nations 17 sustainable development goals also talk of inclusion you've been working on this since 1988 I want to get your perspective on how much is actually being achieved or is it a lot of lip service? In some places, it's lip service. Mm -hmm. But I've been working with this for a long time. The Web of Inclusion, the book you cited, which came out in 1995, that was the first place the word inclusion was used in a business mm -hmm. or organizational context. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was considered a, a real soft skill, a kind of you know, it, it did, didn't, didn't have a lot of um, engagement. Mm. And what has happened, I think, I, I know, is that as the nature of the technology has changed mm. and as organizations have become ever more reliant mm -hmm. on the talent and brains of their people, right. you know, Peter Drucker said that the primary means of production are lodged in people's heads and That's get in the exactly. elevator with them when they go home. Mm. So that reliance on talent and creativity and innovation combined with an increasingly diverse workforce all over the world. That's not just, you know, in, in a, it, it's a, a global phenomenon mm -hmm. and diversity of values, diversity of, of, of all kinds of levels of diversity. Mm. What I see is that the increasing diversity and reliance on talent mm -hmm. has driven a need to be able to lead inclusively okay. because especially a diverse workforce will not respond well and certainly you won't be able to make the best use of their talents mm -hmm. unless they feel they are part of a we unless you have the potential to create a culture of belonging mm -hmm. a culture of inclusion that's it and uh, a lot of these biases uh, really start with society and uh, leaders. I'd love to get your thoughts on how can we start to make changes within ourselves, act in our little communities, in societies, in countries. You know, in the work I do with organizations, there's been a lot of focus on unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. And many organizations are starting these unconscious bias, rolling out these initiatives. In my experience, um, looking at behaviors is more effective than looking at biases mm. for a couple of reasons. It, it's easy to set out, here are some behaviors that are going to be helpful 
to any team, any unit, any division, any organization in building a more cohesive right. uh, culture. Here are the behaviors. Here are, you know, this little, little tiny things, you know, complimenting somebody, saying good job, sharing information, really listening, um, small things like that. I think it's better to focus on behaviors than to focus on the hunt for unconscious biases. Mm. And part of the reason uh, for that is my observation over, you know, going on 40 years, that people are more more likely when they practice new behaviors, they Mm. get different responses from other people. Mm. So then they start to think differently. Oh, I thought that person was, you know, this, that, or the other, Mm. the bias. but no, not really. Uh, th- that person, you know, we really are developing this good relationship. And then you stop having these generalizations about people like them. That's much more likely, in my experience, to begin to shift your mind based on that experience than it is to, to realize you have a bias and somehow be able to drop that. So I think, you know, with biases, we need awareness of them. And that's a wonderful thing. But I think very difficult to root out. And they're very deep, and they're cultural reasons. So Mm. I think the focus, and this is what I try to do in my work is put the focus on behaviors, not biases, as a way to build a more inclusive culture. Fantastic. And, you know, I was speaking to some very senior corporate leaders of large multinationals, and I was talking to them about inclusion. And some of them actually said that, you know, we have a policy in place. And now the HR leader has to make sure it happens. (laughs) My question to you is, where does accountability lie? (laughs) Accountability lies at the top. When you have and you know, this reflects, you can imagine uh, how it would reflect my very long experience. Mm. Um, When you have a situation where the whole a notion of inclusion, which is a very deep cultural value, very deep, yeah. is outsourced to HR. Mm. Everybody knows it. Mm. The whole company knows it. People are smart. They know that the leaders don't aren't particularly interested, don't see it as important, don't see it as intrinsic to the success of the enterprise or how they do business. They know that. So it's, you know, it's kind of a, a, a lip service thing. It can make a difference in how some teams function and run. That's good. But the accountability really lies at the top. And when you look at an organization, talking recently to the CEO of Cardinal Healthcare, and looking at the robustness of the commitment he's made mm. and how that reflects and how people recognize this is what we're doing. The operative phrase in any organization, people always say, I don't know whether our organization is, do you have a measure, a standard measure of inclusion? Sure, mm. there are plenty of instruments for that. Yeah. For me, the standard measure is people talk about we, not they. Mm. People talk about their organization. It's we, we're doing this, we're doing that. Oh, they did this. Mm. Once you hear that they, then you know that the accountability that you're talking about is not at the top. Well said. So my next question to you, uh, Sally, is that, you know, we all just started to come out of the pandemic <laughs> and work from home and great resignation. How has the pandemic and the great resignation impacted women leaders? 
I think it's been wildly uneven, wildly uneven. Uh, the pandemic has had very, very challenging impact upon mm. women who have young children and who don't have a lot of resources uh, to uh, bring in and care for their families. And I talk to them all the time. And it's been an extremely difficult, isolating and frightening time. And they're constantly depending on what is the school policy? Is it changing? Are the kids going back? Fights over masks, all that. I think it's it's created a tremendous amount of stress in an already stressed environment. Right. And the great resignation is is a response to that. Mm. People are just calculating the worth, the the you know the stress and sort of navigational skills required, mm. and saying. Maybe not right now. This isn't for me. So in a way, I think it exacerbated a trend that was already there, which is for people, people having greater expectations mm -hmm. at all levels for what the experience of their work should be. Right. Um, but it's been it's been very hard and it's been especially hard on mothers of young children mm. and almost unbearably hard. And um, so that, that's, you know, but I think that it's important to distinguish the, the, the benefits that are more long range from the, uh, from the difficulties mm -hmm. and pain that really have existed. Mm -hmm. And I think that the greater flexibility and the ability to work at home, and I know I've worked with conservative companies that, you know, I, I was talking to the head of HR at a, a major energy producer, and she said, you know, we have lost over the years so many talented women because we have very inflexible policies about working from, from home, very punitive. Oh. So if your kid is sick, it's, it, you know, you don't, you, you, it's Correct. your problem. Yeah. And, and she said, because the, the leaders saw somebody not being in the workplace as evidence of not, of their not being productive. Mm. She said, we've been more productive in this period than we've ever been. So they now see that. She said, and I think it's going to be very, very helpful for us in, in attracting women going forward. So I think that the, the flexibility in the workplace is going to play to, women's strengths and give give both women and men a possibility for a better way of, of having more control and structuring Absolutely. their work. Well said. So Sally, let's now move to the next part of our conversation, which is your new book, Rising Together, How We Can Bridge Divides and Create a More Inclusive Workplace. Before I ask you about your book, is it available on Amazon? Oh, no, I just handed in the edit uh, yesterday. Oh, okay. uh, the pub date is uh, February 1st, okay. 2023. So, so I, will, I will check it out and yeah. I'll ask all my viewers and listeners to go and check it out in February 2023. Um, and I'm sure it'll be a great book. So tell me about this book and your hypothesis. Well, you know, this book is interesting. I was doing a program out in Las Vegas at a big, it was a big conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is about a year after How Women Rise came out, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a women's leadership workshop So on How Women Rise. So I went into the room I'd been assigned, mm -hmm. uh, which was big, you know, it was a big, fancy conference hotel, mm -hmm. and I walked in, and they told me, they said, you may, you'll, you'll probably have some men there. There are a lot of men at the conference. Well, I figure it's a construction super conference, I would. So what I was pretty much expecting was, about a hundred 
women in the industry and, you know, some men who wanted to be supporters or whatever. That's mm. the usual deal. I walk into the room. It's 250 people. It was a you know breakout room. And it was about 75 percent men. Mm -hmm. And I was astonished. And I said, you know, why are you here? Mm -hmm. And what they said was, mm -hmm. we need to be more effective okay. about attracting and retaining women. We have big attrition. We lose really talented people. We will not survive if we don't become better places for women to work. And I remember one guy stood up and he said, please don't waste our time telling us mm -hmm. why it, it, it is important for us to get good at retaining women. Tell us how, we need some hows, we need some answers of how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I thought that really to me indicated a change in the environment and a much greater uh, awareness of the benefits of having a more balanced and diverse uh, workforce. Mm -hmm. So I had the idea of writing, you know, what gets in the way? Mm -hmm. He wanted the house. What what gets in the way and how do we address it? Mm -hmm. So rising together first, the first half of it focuses on the triggers word from Marshall Goldsmith, mm -hmm. uh, my friend, uh, the triggers that undermine successful and fruitful relationships okay. for men and women at work. But also generally, it can be also between, you know, racial, ethnic uh, and uh sexual orientation differences, as well as generational. Yeah. What are the things that trigger mm -hmm. problems when we're working with people we perceive of as not like me? What are those triggers? Mm -hmm. Very specific. And then the second part of the book is what kind of behaviors? It's mm -hmm. the, you know, building that culture of we, what are the specific behaviors that can help us do that, that we can start practicing. Mm -hmm. We don't have to dig down into our heads and figure out every single bias we've ever yeah. had. Mm -hmm. How can we practice and create an environment that has a more positive orientation? So okay. it's real hands-on, real practical. Mm. And it's coming out in February 2023. February 2023. And we'll send out orders. You know, there's a big thing you always want to push to have pre-orders. So I know. we'll get in touch with you and we'll see if, the, if some of the listeners are No, we, we, we'll, we'll spread it around when, when your pre-ordering starts. Uh -huh. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an author of eight books, so I know that uh, how important it is to get your books out and uh, because that's, that's what you'll actually want as an author. <laughs> Sally, uh, another question that I wanted to ask you when you talk of bridging divides is the divide between the younger generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs, and the older generation women leaders. I find the younger generation is much clearer on what they want. Mm. I'd love to get your perspective on women leadership between people of my vintage, and I'm 65, and mm -hmm. people who are, uh, you know, the millennials and the Gen Z emerging leaders today? I think that there is, I find that the young women, uh, you know, as it, How Women Rise is focused on 12 habits that are most likely to get in the way of mm -hmm. successful women. Yeah. And some of the real foundational ones, um, the millennial women are way ahead. You know, a lot of women came up with a reluctance to talk about their achievements. They expect other people to notice. They don't want to bring attention to what they did. Yeah. They fear being seen as too overly ambitious. And I do not find the younger generation 
um, however we're calling them, to share that that much. They are much more clear about what they can contribute. They're mm -hmm. much more feel, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but yeah, feel yeah. entitled to have jobs that really reflect their okay. talents. Okay. And that's fantastic. You know, they've grown up with a different experience and mindset. Mm -hmm. I do also find, it, at least in terms of some of those habits, that that they have a way to go and working on some communication skills, mm -hmm. et cetera, that would, would be helpful for them. But uh, yeah, I, it's part of the progress I see is that younger women come into the workplace with a greater expectation that they have something to contribute, should be heard, mm -hmm. and can figure out that they should be heard and see that as part of their job. Well said. Uh, I've got time for one more question. And okay. this is uh, for the many, many people who will listen to us. Uh, you know, and, and the amazing thing that you've been speaking about. Uh -huh. Based on your vast experience, Ali, what would you say are three lessons you would like a lot of our young women and male leaders who will be listening to our conversation to take away from uh, what you all, what you just spoken to us? I would say the three lessons they should that I would suggest they take away mm -hmm. are first of all try to figure out exactly in really clear language what you want your chief contribution to be. Okay. This can be in the job you have. It can be in yeah. the company you're working mm -hmm. for. It can be, don't make it too big picture, yeah. uh, but real specific language, not yeah. vague concepts like I seek to be an agent of transformation, but yeah. what's really clear based on your skills, mm -hmm. what you want to do and based on your skills, mm -hmm. find a way to articulate that very, very clearly. Mm -hmm. um, don't be shy about sharing that. Mm -hmm. Speak it aloud and speak it often because that's the brand called you. Correct. What that, that phrase you have that articulates what you want to contribute. Yeah. The language of contribution as opposed to achievement is important. Mm -hmm. That's your brand. And then use that to enlist people and get all the support you can and get support broadly and widely from people across all kinds of barriers. Just become very uh, active at building ally networks, um, always using that, that brand you have, which is what you want to contribute. Mm -hmm. Well said. Sally, on that note, and your three pieces of advice, you know, be very specific on what you want your contribution to be. Don't be shy about sharing it and get support. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for speaking to me about women's leadership and your vast experience since 1988. I haven't met any senior woman leader who actually decided to give her life to women's leadership like you have done you know, for almost 35 years. And thank you for what you're doing. Uh, thank you for speaking to me about uh, the amazing things that you have experienced as a woman leader and what you're doing for women leaders. Thank you also for speaking to me about your books and your forthcoming book, Rising Together, How We Can Bridge Divides and Create a More Inclusive Workplace. Finally, thank you for speaking to me and good luck to you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom 
of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.